You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Hi, I'm Veronica Fortune from Past, the podcast about those who would never rule. I was just asked by the amazing Katie and Nathan to let you know that they curse. A bit. Or a lot. <laughs> Which means I probably shouldn't listen to them when my children are around. Not that this stops me. If you're more sensible, though, you can come visit me at PAST, that's P-A-S-S-E-D, where at least the language is child-friendly. Hi, this is Katie. And this is Nathan. And you're listening to Queen's Podcast, the show about badass women in history. It is time, it is time for another episode of Queen's Podcast. Queen's Podcast, the last of the year, Nathan. Oh my gosh, it's about to be New Year's. It is. It's about to be Christmas. Yes, it's Christmas in just a couple of days. It's Hanukkah right now. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. I'm not going to make the mistake when I jinxed the entire world In 2019, in December, we were doing our Isabeau of Bavaria series. We were wrapping it up. And I was and I was like, okay, everybody, 2020 is gonna be our year. Let's crush it. And narrator voice, we did not crush it. Um, so I'm not doing (laughs) that this year. (laughs) Uh, You kind of just did, so I'm not being no, that was that was a cautionary tale. Oh, God. So, to be fair, because we had nothing else to do for an entire year in 2020, the podcast yeah. actually grew a lot that year. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, nobody had anything to do, so they were like, let's just tune on in let's, to some history. <laughs> let's bake bread and listen to podcasts. We lo- and we love that you're here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before we dive into Josephine Baker, part duh, um, we have... A shout out. Uh, shout out to Reagan. Yes, Reagan's mom sent us an email letting us know how big of a fan of the show she is. And guess whose B Day is coming up on New Year's Eve? New Year's Eve, baby. So, so happy birthday, Reagan. Woo! Bring that Capricorn energy. Yes. Uh. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Okay, Nathan, are you ready to get back into the life of Josephine Baker? 
Oh, oh, I know. I am so ready because I know it's it's going to get a little bit dark. Yes. Because when we last left Josephine, Nazis. it was 1939 and World War II was kicking off. So a little bit dark. Yeah. Um, and as you remember, though Josephine was born in the United States, she had renounced her American citizenship. They were super racisty, overt racisty. Racisty. Yes. Racisty. That is direct quote from Webster's dictionary. <laughs> um, <laughs> they were super racististy over in America. So she was like, I'm done. And she claimed French citizenship and she married a French Jewish man and, you know, bought a French chateau. Oui, oui. <laughs> French, French as fuck. French as fuck. <laughs> yes. So when France and Germany were officially at war, she took that shit personally. And in the last episode, we left off that she had just been approached by a French intelligent, the French intelligence agency. Um, the name of the agency was called Demio Bureau. Uh, which is basically like the French version of MI6 or the CIA or something like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 I see you, France, mm. being all sneaky. <laughs> so the intelligence agency that was more or less assigned to quote unquote handle her, you know, there's Nathan's <laughs> air quotes that you can't well, see. I think that's the phrase um, they use when you're a spy and they are actually, did you never watch Killing Eve? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> Katie's right. Nathan said it here first and probably a billion times. When have I, um, when have I ever been wrong? <laughs> don't answer that. <laughs> so the people that were more or less assigned to handle her as a spy was a guy named Jacques Abitay. And this was his first woman to handle as a spy. And they're super apprehensive about this. Like, She's famous. You know, Josephine Baker is not just somebody you meet on the side of the road. Like, it's not Isn't that the that whole thing train. about spies? They're supposed to, like, go under the radar? So, yeah. I could <laughs> and not, not really <laughs> and happening not, here. And not be literally <laughs> the most famous person on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> he would later tell the story of going to meet her for the first time. And he rolls up to this chateau and he sees her Rolls Royce and he's expecting the Josephine Baker from the newspaper. He's ex- I mean, yeah. Yeah. He's expecting her to come down the stairs in an evening gown and feathers, drinking a martini. Honey, 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 honey. Let me stop you right there. When you are a working woman and you do shit every single day and you are on your day off, I'm not rolling up in a Rolls Royce. I'm chilling, chilling, chilling. I don't know. (laughs) Yes, but also if I had an evening gown just to walk around in my house and I might. (laughs) Dripping in jewels out of the closet. (laughs) But no, so he pulls up. And instead of, like, this, like, vision of glamour, he's approached by this woman in overalls who's been gardening. So she's, like, covered in dirt. And um, she's being followed by a trail of ducks because she has, like, a bag of duck food in her hand. 
And the, a bag of ducks, a bag of ducks. History, history is a bag, bag of ducks. ducks. Food. Uh, <laughs> That's the edited version of the Queen's podcast. But no, she's surrounded by like ducks and dirt and dogs and monkeys. I love this. I love this. And she runs up to greet him and is like, Oh, oh, are you are you my friend from the from the agency? And he's just like he doesn't reckon he thinks at first this must be her gardener. And then he's like, Oh shit, this is Josephine Baker? This woman <laughs> covered in dirt, followed by ducks. Like I love it. I love it too. Like it just shows like the different like the layers of her personality, you know? I know. And then he starts to like voice his worries about her being too famous to be discreet because I mean she kind of is super famous (laughs) yeah so and you know she's not really a political figure at this point she's just a performer yeah so there is something that you know she's just a performer she just gets up on stage and travels the world that's the perfect disguise is to be able to go to different stages and perform and people you know you meet random people so it you know people get drunk they dance with you you talk to them you figure things out darling i don't plan on being discreet I'm going to go across. I'm going to keep doing my thing. I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to get invited to parties. And then I'm going to bring that's that appealing. back to you. Yes. And she's like. Come on. Mo- but I see where he's coming from because every spy he's worked with, every spy he's handled, dis- discretion is their whole thing. And she's like, no. I'm. I. It's almost like. He's out in the open. The more eyes that were on her, the better she was hidden in what she was exactly. Doing. Everybody doesn't seen them titties. Everybody doesn't seen them titties. Seen them titties, and they're just like, <laughs> oh, she's just titty okay. across the world. Still, she's still just doing so her thing. So let her titties titty. Let her titties gonna titty 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 titty. But no one's ever gonna suspect. No one's ever gonna be like. Why is she traveling so much? Because this was a time when they yeah. were, like, keeping eyes on people. Like, why are they traveling so much? No one's going to ask that for someone whose job is to travel and perform and rub elbows with the rich and famous, you know? Yeah. So that's what she did. She's traveling from country to country to country across Europe doing performances for, you know, politicians, having parties. And she would, you know jot some things down in ye old invisible ink and she would have things on her sheet music and take little conversations and hints that she heard and more than once she had written down secrets or film roles in her underwear or pin them in her bra which yes queen use those undergarments i love it because she's like people were actually getting strip searched but she's like who is gonna take the chance of strip searching me because if it comes up with nothing they're gonna look like absolute idiots and it's gonna be in every single newspaper because it's josephine baker yeah again she uses her fame to be able to be like wait a second hiding in plain sight she is spying in plain sight i love it so much and apti this guy that was so apprehensive to take her on was just blown away like so fucking impressed, which I, of course he was. Like she's she's good at everything she does. Um, also, she's she's also very good at having sex. 
<laughs> but yeah, it really like this whole relationship that they have doesn't have any relevance to the story, as you may find out in the Patreon episode that's coming out where the love affairs are like. No, yeah, she just liked bone. But yeah, but no, I think it's interesting <laughs> that they hooked up because he started so before meeting her, started out so unimpressed with her, and then by the end, uh, and then after they'd known each other a few months, she's like, "Are you impressed?" Yes, and she's like, "Are you sleeping with me?" Yes, like she, yes, good for her, good for her. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite things, just side note about her. <clears throat> is that she walked into a club one time and everybody's partying and there's all these rich people there and she knows she can get all the jewels and money. And a guy walks up to her and is like, what do you want? And she points to the hot guy over there. She's like, him. I read about that too. <laughs> it's like, yes, queen. And it's just like, that must have been so liberating. I remember reading one thing that she said um, after coming to France. So this is backtracking a th- you know, 10 or years or so. But after she first came to France, obviously she was blown away by um, the liberties that people of color had that they didn't have in America. But also she was blown away. She was like, couples were making out in the street. Like even like men and women couldn't kiss in public in St. Louis. (laughs) And then she was like, and then I go to a theater and there's, women getting naked and then they're selling pictures of the naked women. And she was so scandalized that she bought, like she spent all her money that she had when she first, not all of it, but a good chunk of her money that she had when she first got to France on pictures of naked ladies, just because she couldn't get them in <laughs> She's America. Like, wait, why did, why did I do this? Okay. I love it. I love her. <laughs> When she was at home at her Chateau Melandi, she was housing refugees there as well. It was this huge place. And the only people that lived there, well, before the war, were her, her husband, and her staff. But her husband, because he was Jewish, had actually gotten the fuck out. Um, So it was just her and her staff and this huge fucking place. So there was plenty of room for refugees to live comfortably. Yeah, and what a great thing to do, in my opinion. Of course, and everyone's. I don't think this is a hot take. I don't think so either. <laughs> refugees for people on the right side of history. Uh oh, we might say that's a good thing because by this point, Germany has invaded France. Right. And she's housing refugees that were trying to stop the Nazis and or try Jewish, to stop Jewish people everything. as well. She was housing just normal Jewish people trying not to get murdered, trying not to have a genocide done to them. And this takes, I don't like the phrase this takes balls because balls are weak. This takes ovaries is what it takes. Um, yes, queen. Because it was Nazi occupied, German occupied, and there was a time where the Germans did come knocking on her door. And she was able to be like, a little old me? What do I have? I don't have a mind for politics. Why would I have anything? And, like, convince the Nazis yeah, to go like, away. here's my bananas and my titties. Yes. Titties and they were to like, stop okay. tyranny. And if... <laughs> wait, wait, titties wait. Titties to stop tyranny. <laughs> That is that is how we create world peace, Katie. Titties to stop tyranny. 
I'm, All right. I'm into okay. it. Um, but no, if they if they would have found that she was housing refugees, they could have killed her then and there. No, like just yeah. shot her yeah, the, the, execution style. Shot on the spot. It doesn't matter no if trial. you're Josephine Baker or not. No, she, and she doesn't have an American passport, so it's not like it would be like starting shit with America. She, that takes such big ovary energy, big clit energy, big titty energy. Love it. Titties against tyranny. Titties against tyranny. (laughs) (laughs) So side note, we don't know where else to put this, but but we're hardcore nerds. And as (laughs) you should know, we like to throw in a little bit of side note energy in yes, here you know? all the time all the time and it is that the bed that she owned at her chateau one of her beds not like the one she slept in but one of the beds that she owned belonged to Marie antoinette maybe you've heard of her yes <laughs> uh, uh, let them eat cake except she never, she never said, said that <laughs> <laughs> but i just love like how how french the fuck is that Anyway, um, uh, uh. honestly, we do not have a ta- enough time to discuss all the things Josephine Baker did during the French Resistance during World War II. There is a book out right now called Agent Josephine. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, she 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 is absolutely a war hero, which we'll get to. She was recognized as titties later, against tyranny. Titties against tyranny. <laughs> she flew planes. She smuggled secrets. She hid refugees. She did fundraisers. She secured fake passports for Jewish people to get out of the country. She risked her life so many times. And um, when somebody asked her later, like, you must really love France. She said, yes, I love France. But I hate discrimination even more so she was able to recognize because she had been discriminated against so much of her life so she was able to recognize that um this is more than a political thing this is a discrimination thing and it kept her going it it fueled her fire so oh i'm getting chills just talking about how no i love it so she's touring the world right guys Mm -hmm. this is part of her gig as a spy is being able to tour the world and she's in North Africa and she's secretly transferring Jewish people into Morocco. But at this point, she unfortunately suffered a miscarriage. We don't know who the baby daddy is, but does it matter? No, no it's Josephine really. Baker and she can have a baby and we'd be like, good for you. She really, <laughs> she really wanted children. We know it didn't belong to her husband, Jean Leon. Because um, they had been separated for Katie's. Months. Katie's learning French. Say I it am. one more time. Jean Leon. <laughs> but in my Texan, I would I would call him Jean Lion. <laughs> but I'm learning French. Jean Leon. Jean Lion. Jean Lion. <laughs> he turned out to not be 
such a great match for her in the end, which again, we're going to do a Patreon episode about the yes. lovers of of uh, Josephine Baker. So we'll go into him more then. But th- their relationship's over, so he's not the baby daddy is really all that matters. And right you now. know what? Again, it doesn't matter who the baby daddy is of this lost child. It doesn't matter. She's in treatment, recovering from a miscarriage for eighteen months. Eighteen guys. months. It was. She got um. So she had to have an emergency hysterectomy, and Ugh. I just don't know enough about what what went wrong for it to be. 1940s but 18 yes yes but like it sounds like she's very lucky to have survived at all oh 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 um thoughts (laughs) any medical procedure before the 1990s and i'm like hard no um but it was so serious that a chicago newspaper literally ran an obituary on her and then she released this is like the original like how they release on social media so and so died and it's like no not really i'm here still here (laughs) and that's literally what it was Mm -hmm. she's like i'm far too busy to die which yes (laughs) very on brand for her deflecting with humor Um, Which is something you always see with people that have had, um, you know, rough childhood um, and then have a lot of trauma deflect with humor. Like, I'm far too busy to die. And but she was really, really, really going through it mentally. I do believe like she was having a bad time. (laughs) Yeah, big old bad time. And she she learned at this point that, you know, children, hysterectomy probably not going to happen uh she wanted kids she wanted tons of kids but when you're a career woman like she was as a dancer in specifics you know sometimes you have to put that off a little longer but well and also they didn't have the help that people have now now, now there yeah. if you want to have kids but you never want to be pregnant and you're as rich as josephine baker get a surrogate you know, or yeah, can, or there's even just it's just different now than it was then. So she was thinking, I'm going to put off children until after the war. I'm going to, I'm going to, because she was dancing, yeah. dancing, dancing. Then the war happened. I'm going to put off children until after the war. And now this is taking that option away from her. And she was heartbroken. Yeah, absolutely. She had wanted kids. After her recovery, she continued with the efforts, but she remained in Morocco. And she was finally able to return to Paris for the first time in like, you know, 1944. So this was 1940. So it's been like four years. Back to France. But she hadn't been into Paris. Yeah, her chateau was like, her her chateau was like five hours out of Paris. Yeah. Yeah, and she was now 38, and just to give some little perspective to it, she first arrived in Paris when she was 19. Baby, baby, baby. baby. Yeah. So, yeah, she'd been gone for four years, and now she's back to the city that she really felt made her, and she is like, okay, I've done my part in the war effort, and now I'm here to help you rebuild as well. 
And just like she'd been the talk of Paris for like dancing around with her titties against tyranny in her <laughs> banana skirt, she's now the talk of Paris for being a patriotic yeah. hero. And once again, people cannot get enough of her. She rides in on parades after the liberation. She's wearing military uniforms. She's getting military awesome honors. Like, look at her. her I, that, uh, that's just so amazing to me. Speechless. Absolutely speechless. Because yes. there's just not, I'm sure there are other women that had similar storylines to her that we're just not hearing about. So I just love that she was this woman that found a home and then found a way to protect it and really made a huge difference. And then that she also got the appreciation that she deserved. Oh, oh, chef's kiss. Yes. (laughs) So immediately after the end of the war and her return home, she kind of wanted to lay low for a minute. Her. Yeah, me either. And she finalized her divorce from Jean Lyon. Um, Jean Lyon. <laughs> <laughs> and he had actually been spending her money, sleeping around. So it's t- boy, bye. That's yeah. Direct quote. <laughs> and direct quote. she made <laughs> she made some renovations because. Once you kick a boy out, you got to redo the whole place and, you know, scrub the grum off of the tile. Um, And so she worked towards reopening her own club, you know, getting things back to normal. So once all was said and done, she was like, I do want to go back to work. So she reaches out to some clubs in Paris. I want to open a new show. And she is paired up with this composer that she had actually met when she was doing a tour during her um, spy days, and his gu- his name is Joe Bouillon, which she's Josephine, he's Joe, they're Jojo. And um, <laughs> I really do think he was the love of her life, even though it's not a conventional marriage, but I do think he was the love of her life. No. And they were married in 1947. And then the next year, Josephine opened a new show in Paris that was partially written by Joe and just so happened to be a JoJo hit. And so she sang about loving France and heartache and, and she and her husband got to celebrate that success together, which... I think brought them closer right. together. There, you could see a difference though. Um, before the war, her music was silly and frivolous and she danced around in banana yeah. skirts. And now after the war, her music was about more serious. Like heavy shit has happened since. <laughs> and now she's, and she doesn't do any more titty work anymore. She's Kosher. she's um, covered up. <laughs> it's a little bit of a more modest Josephine type show. Little tidbit though about husband number four, Joe Bullion. He has been living his life up until this point as an openly gay man. Yes, I have several questions that no one could ever answer okay. for me. Uh, but what do you, could you what? 
Freddie Mercury. Maybe so. Maybe so. But I mean, think about Freddie Mercury for a little bit. Like him and Mary Austin were in love and they were kind of sort of like the spiritual people that were like together, but he was a homosexual. But they never married. No, but different different strokes for different folks. This is way before that time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And also, it's none of our business, <laughs> I guess. Like <laughs> Exactly. exactly. They were happy. Um and also, like we mentioned in episode one, and like we are gonna go into in the Patreon episode, she was also not a hundred percent a straight person herself. So maybe maybe they felt safe with each other. Yeah, they had an they had an agreement. <laughs> but they did appear to love each other. Hey, so that's all that matters, right? Yeah, but I I I do I I'm just morbidly curious about if they had sex or not. Like I want to know, but it's none of my business, I guess. None your business. So <laughs> anyway, after the success of her comeback tour, the U.S. starts calling and being like, "Hey, um, can you come perform here? Because we kind of <laughs> need you." <laughs> Excuse me. Do y'all remember yeah, the last time I was there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Look, I couldn't find a hotel to stay in. Y'all laughed me out of the country. I think the fuck not. <laughs> yeah, right. She's like, why? Like, you're gonna embarrass me in front of all of my friends all over again? Hell no. But then the production team that wanted to host her were like, well, we've got this spot in Miami and we think you would really like it. Um, and things are different now. It's the Fifties, you know, super progressive time, the nineteen fifties. Racist, but they were like, <laughs> "You won't have to worry about a hotel because we're going to put you up in a penthouse." Okay, we're going to let you have some creative agency because when she was back the time before, like her background dancers couldn't even touch her because it was illegal. Like, and they're like, "It's different Yikes. now. It's more relaxed." Miami's groovy. Come back. Come back. So she and Joe are like, okay, Miami's got palm trees and beaches. And, and, you know, that sounds nice. And, you know, they're going to put us up in a penthouse. Doesn't sound so bad. So she and Joe were like, fine. Okay. You know, let's do it. Let's do it. And if it sucks, we just come home. What do we have to lose? So, Joe and Joe. (laughs) Awkward silence. (laughs) So, Joe and Joe pack their bags and they head to America for her second time in 20 years. And I think this is a good time to take a little break, top off our drinks, and then we'll come back and see how that goes for them. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? 
Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show has examined weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. Thing done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. <laughs> and we're back. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So Josephine and Joe arrive in Miami, and Josephine has an agenda. She starts yes. negotiating with the showrunners. She's like, I need more money. I need more creative control. And she's like, y'all said segregation wasn't supposed to be a big deal anymore. Mm-hmm. So what's this? She's like, if it's not a big deal, y'all don't mind. I have some friends in Harlem, some celebrities, like some like A-list friends in Harlem. I want to fly them in and seat them in the front row. And they were like, that might be a little bit of a problem. And they were like, we're not segregated anymore, but black people have to sit in the balcony. Okay, wait. hold up. Wait. <laughs> and she was like, you know um, what that's called? Segregation. That's called segregation. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, yeah. okay, Mm-mm. obviously she's not cool with this Mm-mm. at this point. And she hightails it home. <laughs> well, she, well, she threatens. She threatens uh, to hightail it home. Oh, good for her. Good for her. And the showrunners have already advertised this whole thing. They've got a lot of money riding on this. So they're like, okay, okay, okay. Josephine. It's okay. Just, just, just chill. Take a couple deep breaths. Um, so in your clause, in your contract, it said that it is understood and agreed between both parties that patrons are to be admitted regardless of race, color, and creed. This is so, huge. Huge. Like, huge. Front row seats. Take them. This was for them. Like, they were putting... I mean, they were doing the bare minimum to our eyes. But at the time then, they were, like, really putting their necks on the line, putting that in her contract. But then, January 10th, 1951, her show at the Copa Club of Miami, Florida, opened with a segregated audience. And it was a huge success. Huge success. Yeah. It was so different than her last run in the U.S. This show 
sold out. People were raving about it. Celebrities were flying in from Los Angeles, from New York, from Chicago to see her. The reviews were all glowing, glowing, glowing. Five stars would recommend. And this obviously is a big victory for Josephine personally, but on the civil rights movement, this is big. And this is like in the 40s. So this is like pre you know all of the big I think it was monumental things but still oh yeah you're right but it's like far right, out of the 40s yeah <laughs> it's the precipice of the civil rights yes movement. yes and <clears throat> it showed that theater owners at this point could unsegregate audiences and could still make money and people could still have a good time and you know, it didn't solve the problem of racism because it still exists. Didn't solve um, racism. <laughs> yeah. It did put forth the chain reaction that, you know, I was talking about. That Yeah, it put together the chain reaction for like all these other theaters to be like, we can unsegregate our audiences and still and they make don't money. care. And still yeah, make they money. Don't care. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't even just the audiences though. It didn't it was such a chain reaction to also like, yeah, let's unsegregate the audience, but then let's unsegregate the crew. Let's unsegregate the dancers. Let like. It, you mean theater made some yeah. groundbreaking <laughs> movements in yes. desegregation? Yay. How amazing is that? It, I mean, again, like you said, it didn't solve racism, but it did help. You know, a lot of theater owners and directors be like, oh, I can hire black dancers. I can hire black actors. And it's not going to yeah. turn people away. It didn't solve that, but it helped. It it was baby steps. And Josephine saw, yeah, started it. All these companies all throughout the U.S. were on the phone. And so she ends up going on the road, doing this tour, basically showing these companies, look, (laughs) you can be desegregated and still show a good time. Let's do it. And they killed it. Sold out. Rave reviews. Everything went well. Every single show. And in every single contract. And she was so powerful at this time that she was one of the only women that like had control of her own contract that way and to be like no these are going to be every single audience unsegregated every single set crew unsegregated fucking huge i just oh i love her for this i know but however her trip was not without drama because (laughs) it's the 50s and the 50s are problematic and the majority of the u.s is still segregated So not a chill place to be as a non-white person in America. Nope. Nope. Okay. So let's paint a scene. Let's paint a picture. It's October 16th, 1951. And she is in New York during her wildly successful tour. And so she and her husband, Jojo, and Jojo and all their friends are at this place called the Stork Club in Manhattan. And the Stork Club at the time was just this. It it makes me think of like Studio Fifty Four in the seventies. Like it was, okay. it like was the like it place the it place for all the celebrities, like Frank Sinatra and uh, like the whole the whole Rat okay. Pack went okay. there. Just huge, 
huge celebrity spot. So they get there with their crew, and they are sat at a table, and they put in their drink orders, they put in their food orders, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait for over an hour, Uh and nothing happens. (laughs) Sat right next to them was Grace Kelly, who was starstruck. She was starstruck by Josephine Baker. She's like, oh my god, is that, is that titties against tyranny? (laughs) Well, because at the time, um, Grace Kelly was the up-and-coming it girl, because Grace Kelly is about 20 years younger than Josephine Baker. Mm -hmm. But, so she is just like, this is like the poster on my wall. Like, this is like an icon of me. Of mine yes. growing up, just being like, oh my god, I am sitting next to Josephine Baker. Yeah, and then, <laughs> but then she started to witness that Josephine wasn't being served, and Grace Kelly was like, wait, what's going on? What? Yeah. And then Grace Kelly overhears the owner of the store club saying, who set her? Why did y'all let her in? And she's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. You're talking about the icon that's sitting right next to me? The the queen of everything right here? Wait, 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 wait. This is my hero. She is a this war is, hero. This is not a yeah, war hero. She, is, she fucked up some Nazis. And y'all aren't going to serve her a Manhattan and a steak? Food. What the hell? And a ste- come on. Come on, racists. Mm. <laughs> and so Grace Kelly gets her ass up and she goes over to Josephine Baker and is like, hi, I love you. I am so honored to meet you. Oh my Can God. I have your autograph. Fangirling <laughs> right now. But anyway, um, from what I hear, the steaks here taste like shit. Why don't we get out of here? Yes. Uh, so then Josephine Baker and Grace Kelly leave the Stork Club hand in hand, like like they're like they were best friends their entire lives. Both of their crews walk out with them, and a bunch of other people do. And don't um, serve the bigots. That is that is the moral yes, of the story. Don't, don't give the bigots money. A bigot, yeah. And don't give the bigots money. The um, Josephine and Grace Kelly end up being dear, dear friends for the rest of their lives, which we'll touch on a little bit later. <laughs> so Josephine marches to a payphone right after this, and she ring, ring, ring calls up the NAACP, and she's like, <laughs> "Listen to this shit, y'all ain't gonna believe this." And the next morning, there's a huge group of protesters in front of the stork club and this is not just bad but bad 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 mm-hmm. press <laughs> for the stork club yeah. because josephine baker is a legend she's a war hero and she's the it girl of the entire moment even grace kelly is like hey hey i, I love you Grace Kelly's the like sitting in the Grace Kelly's her hype man in the back being like they racist here and like <laughs> it I can just imagine Grace Kelly <laughs> yelling from the back row <laughs> they 
would you ever? Here. Would you ever? Uh, would you be interested in one day covering Grace Kelly? Duh. Duh. Okay. <laughs> Have you met me? <laughs> I I didn't know really anything about her before starting this Josephine Baker episode. So um, yeah, but there was one negative thing that like came from this event. We don't want to really dive into this feud, but at the time there was this journalist named Walter Winchell and Walter Walt had always written positively about Josephine. And he was at the same club, the Stork club the night of her walkout, but he didn't walk out. When Josephine Baker would talk about this night, she'd always make sure to mention that Walter Winchell said nothing, but he has this huge platform and he could do so much to help this cause, but honestly, he just stayed silent the entire time. And Walter Winchell took that personally because he was like, Lady, I have, I don't know you. Like, I don't actually know you. I was just trying to have dinner. Why are you bringing me into this? So I think this actually brings up an interesting conversation that we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on. But it comes down to if you have a platform with a wide audience, do you have an obligation to step up when you see injustice? Or do you have an obligation to have a night off and just not do anything? Um, you, right. It's a gray area. Um, I don't, I don't know enough about area. Walter Winchell no. himself to say, if but I as think. a journalist, if you're writing positively about her, if the situation happened, then your view before the situation was of her was positive. So what made it negative was what made it negative is she called him out because he would, he didn't say anything about the Stork club incident until she brought it up. And he knew that that, I mean, he knew it was wrong. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be team team. Call it out. Yes. Yes. We always call it out. (laughs) We think you should call it out. Anyway, (laughs) Anyway, it is it is a gray area. And I don't necessarily know if Josephine was in the right for bringing somebody into it. But I also don't think she was in the wrong. Again, it's just a weird area, you know? Yeah. Anyway, read either way. Walter, Walter did not like being dragged into it. He was just like, I was just what I was just trying to have dinner. Why am I a part of your narrative now that I was not trying to be a part of? And so he, in his column, starts hinting that Josephine was a communist. Oh, God, McCarthy. Yeah. And this is... The Red Scare. This is deep during the McCarthy Red Scare. Yeah, so this is this is like the Salem Witch Trials. Um, you know, Arthur Miller wrote about exactly it. Exactly the crucible, yeah. <laughs> or I guess not exactly. It is metaphorically the crucible. The yeah. crucible, but uh, at the same point, we all understand that accusing someone of being a witch, uh, if you've listened to Queen's podcast, or, is fucking serious. <laughs> or a communist, yeah. Yeah, and Very long story serious. short, Josephine's U.S. visa is revoked, and she has to leave and she's like, you know what? Fine. I'm just as successful without you. I America. hate this. Yeah. Bye, racist. 
place, like 1950s poodle skirt, segregated bus stations. I would rather go let my titties against tyranny hang out in France. I left this so, place for a reason. Bye. No. So yeah. she leaves the U.S. again. Again. <laughs> <laughs> And she gets back to France again. again. <laughs> and so they, they meaning her and her husband, Joe, they decide that they want to start a family. Mm-hmm. You know, got this huge chateau. And, you know, let's plug it up with some kids. Is that what straight people say? Plug it up with some kids? Yeah, that's yes. what you say, right? Yes, okay. Nathan. Yes. Okay. Straight lingo 101. <laughs> Got it. (laughs) And so Josephine had this beautiful idea, which in theory, okay. And it is, I'm going to adopt a child of every race, every ethnicity. Beautiful. um, She's like Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. (laughs) Or Mia Farrow. Like both, all of them before. But so she, but no, she specifically has this uh, thing in her mind called the Rainbow Tribe. So it's these children of different backgrounds, different religions, ethnicities, whatever. And the point of it is I'm going to adopt all these children, different races, to prove we're coming out of segregation in America. We're coming out of World War II genocide. I want to prove that... um, if children are raised together to love each other, there's no racism. It's that it's racism is taught, not inherent, which on paper is beautiful. In practice, it was a bit of a shit show and not super chill. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, without a doubt, all these kids had a way better life than they would have not had if Josie would have been around. So, like, Josie being here made them so much better. They weren't growing up in slums, yeah. Yeah, but she did kind of do an Angelina Jolie and made a spectacle out of them. Yeah. Where it was like, look at my rainbow family. Oh, my God, aren't they rainbow? Aren't they rainbow family? Oh, my yeah. God. So it she got a little dress- overkilly. She would, like, dress them up like the ch- children from Asia. She would put them in, like, stereotypical Asian clothing. Mm. Yeah, like, the children that were supposed to be Jewish. She would put them in very, like, Jewish cl- Like, it was just a little bit, like, I don't know. It was kind of, it kind of seemed like they were. Can they just wear regular kids clothes? And yeah, like can they go play in the dirt with ducks? Cause history is a bag of ducks. History is a bag of ducks. (laughs) And I don't think she didn't love these children. I do think she loved these children. But uh, if you just doing stuff like that, it just seemed like she was making them a bit of a photo op. Because um, some of the kids that she adopted, she would, like, make up backstories for them. Later on, they would come up and be like, I don't know that that was super accurate. But anyway, her and Joe were like, we're going to take in eight children and we're going to adopt them. Give these eight children a beautiful home. We have the means to do that for eight children. So in 1954, they get two boys from Japan. And then the next year, two boys, one from Finland, one from Colombia. So that's four. That's four. And then in 1956, they adopted a boy from Algeria and a girl from the French slums. So that's 
Wait. Six. I can't count. <laughs> Math. 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 <laughs> That's six. And the next year, three more children from France. So Joe's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We said eight. <laughs> now, now we got nine. That's nine. So, so we're done. So we have our <laughs> rainbow. Joe... Joe Beyon, oh, that guy, Walter Winshaw, called um, Joe Beyon uh, Joe Soup. Because huh. <laughs> it's like, nice. is that how you say it? The Beyon? The, um, Bouillon. 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 I'm sorry. I've been saying it wrong. So Joe Bouillon, so he called him Joe Soup. So he's like, we got the Soup Tribe, the Soup of Many Colors. We are good. And we are running out of money. So we're going to stop And now. we broke. <laughs> yeah. We're... They weren't quite broke yet, but they were like tiptoe went on broke. So Josephine yeah. was like, "We're good, right?" And Josephine wasn't around all that much, so most of the kids were raised by nannies and hubby Joe, and he's balancing one checkbook, watching over all these kids. So he's like, "You know, girl, take it from me, <laughs> we don't need." any more children and josephine thankfully is like you know what you're right you're right 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 so then a couple of days later she shows up with a baby girl (laughs) it's like i adopted a new baby while i was on tour (laughs) and the two of them have this huge fucking fight nathan what, do you feel like Joe Soup was a little bit um, justified in being angry there? Yeah, but also Josephine has this trauma from having the hysterectomy. So I think she they wanted got nine kids. Ba- okay, wait. Wait. She didn't have the choice over the first situation where she couldn't have children. Now she does. So she's obviously going to be like, babies on babies on babies on babies. I and that's, am go- well, that's but, a song. But, but they already had nine kids. I know you're right. You're right. Katie, once again, put this down. Katie is right. right. <laughs> if my husband even came home with a couch that I didn't think we could afford. I <laughs> If he came home with a whole other child, that's just not something. <laughs> Katie's done. I understand. She's got this heart that just won't quit giving. And she had this other opportunity taken away from her with a hysterectomy. But also there is a level of respect that you have to have for your partner. Yeah, that's true. And doing something like that, obviously, <laughs> shows your Has no respect. Like I've been living single. For a long time. So, respect for partners. <laughs> if I showed up with another dog tomorrow, this, that man in there would be so mad. And I couldn't blame him because that's another, like, that's another. I'd say that's more another, dogs. <laughs> I, I, if, if I was single, I would have like seven dogs. Anyway, <laughs> I would have the rainbow tribe of dogs. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> But no, no, it did, it did cause a huge, huge rift between the two. Yeah, they have mouths to feed, they have nannies to pay, pay, a chateau to keep up. But what they decided to do was open up their home for tours. Because you're Josephine Baker, why not? Why not? Um, and while you're at it, let's install a wax museum. 
and a mini golf course. <laughs> a mini golf course really surprised me. <laughs> Everyone would come to see their rainbow tribe children, which it's just it's just like this photo op moment. She really that I don't did care kind about. of make a spectacle of her children to make money off after that. But then she also had her little zoo of animals. Which is a spectacle of animals, which, which is, is exactly which is, what she's doing with the human beings. <laughs> you're not wrong. But then she also had all her couture clothes. <laughs> Katie's clothes. This is this fun. <laughs> but it still wasn't enough to bring in the cash. Yeah. One of her children would later write about how chaotic <laughs> this kind of childhood was. I can't imagine animals and children just running around being like we're rainbows and it's like uh, <laughs> but you have jobs the monkeys Wait, and the dogs and the babies don't need jobs babies don't <laughs> need jobs yeah and this is one reason why <laughs> right babies don't make a don't... spectacle of your children <laughs> hot take <laughs> but the tighter and tighter money got the more josephine and joe started to fight and apparently josephine would be really fucking mean to him like when they were fighting he would sometimes avoid her for days after a fight just because of how ugly she was to him when they would fight which oh yeah these fights got bad so more than one source said that they called each other some homophobic slurs um yeah there were there were stories of them just calling each other homophobic slurs drunk in the streets of the town that their chateau was at so i do think they did love each other but like they're not sexually compatible right like they've never been sexually compatible they've been friends they've been partners not lovers there's a difference so so they aggressively start cheating on each other surprise Surprise! And they're having sex with same-sex partners. Surprise! <laughs> and they are being super-duper toxic and rubbing it in each other's faces. As much as I love Josephine for so many things, there are things in this section, the next couple of minutes that we're going to talk about that I don't love. Um, but everyone has their breaking point. One day, Josephine comes home with yet another baby and this makes 12 this is the second time she has come home with a baby without asking her husband who is who is the caregiver he is i buy a dozen donuts i buy a dozen donuts not a dozen babies i mean i hate to be mean right joe joe (laughs) just goes i'm done i'm fucking done i can't do this anymore and Uh, honestly again i don't know that i can necessarily blame him but um, i couldn't either like at this point he's just done discussion yeah so he moves to buenos aires and opens up a french restaurant and club as a homosexual man does and (laughs) he'd send money he's a a composer so he opens a club yeah yeah but of course, I would open up a restaurant in a club and a bar. <laughs> I mean, that would that would. 
I like this guy. Um. <laughs> but he sends money home when he can, but it's not enough to really help him, to help yeah. uh, Josephine. But they never, they never actually divorced for the rest of their lives. So this was her last legal husband. Yeah. So it's pretty much over in 1961. So not formally divorce, and that's air-quoted again, (laughs) Um, but it's over. So like them together, but you know what? I need to take a quick break because this has been devastating. Um, Let's let's circle back, find our synergy, and piggyback off of the the conversation ahead of time. And uh, yeah, be right back. And we're back. Okay. So Josephine is single again. And now she's the one responsible for the finances. And when she realizes, like, she's looking around, she's looking at the books, and she's like, y'all, I am broke. How did this happen? How did this happen, she says, as she stands in her newly remodeled chateau with the mini golf course, her 12 children, multiple nannies, and her zoo of exotic animals. I had no idea how this happened. It's a what, mystery. What's going on? <laughs> Eventually, her beloved chateau was repossessed, which broke her heart, but yeah. don't worry. They're not homeless. You know, she's got this friend named Grace Kelly. Maybe you've heard of her. And by this time, Grace is now married into the royal family in Monaco, which MBD. Um, And Grace was like, hey, got this little chateau in Monaco. Um, How about you come over? (laughs) Let's hang out. So got the chateau in Monaco. Come over. Bring a hoe. I love yes. this. Yes. <laughs> and plenty right. of hoes I could gladly invite to Grace Kelly's house. It's just me. Um, <laughs> so unlike bringing hoes, um, <laughs> Josephine brings over her children <laughs> to Monaco. And they're like, hey, let's get you back on your feet. You know, let's get you back in a place that you can be with your 12 children. It's um, nice to have friends in high places that have houses right. for 13 people. Like 18 right. if you count the nannies. Yeah. <laughs> One really like not cool thing that she did. Um, she kicked out one of her sons for being gay. Where do you think he got it from? That really shocked me because she was so sexually open in her life with like men and women she had lots of girlfriends and she married a man that she knew was gay but when she caught one of her sons having like a liaison with um a man 
She kicked him out and said, I don't want you to contaminate the other children. What the F? I know. What well, the like, F? Luckily, like, it wasn't like the kid was, like, kicked out on his ass and living on the streets. He went and lived with Joe in Buenos Aires. So, like, he had a place Still to go. Still not cool, Josine, because I, I think know. you you jabbed down into the muff a couple times yourself, girl. Oh, oh girl, loved a good muffin. And yeah, like, like, um, so you caught your son one time and you freaked out. Wait, wait a second. Maybe you need to re-examine your life. Um, <laughs> this was the first time that I re- was during my research of her that I was like, oh, girl, not cool, not cool, you know? Yeah, and I hate it because she's such a badass. But yeah. some of this stuff is just ick. Yeah, yeah. So can we um, fast forward a little bit? Change gears, please. That was a very unpassionate fast forward, and <laughs> I understand why. Um, because it's 1963, still a bad time. <laughs> it's America. And, you know, there's this little historical figure, and I say that, you know, as hyperbole, Um <laughs> Named Martin Luther King Jr. Maybe you've heard of him. (laughs) Yeah. And he's set to make a speech at this historical event called the March on Washington. In Maybe you've heard of it. In (laughs) the fight for civil rights. And he wants Josephine Baker to introduce him. Mm, mm. The problem? She couldn't get a fucking visa. She's not an American citizen anymore. And the last time she was in America, she was accused of being a communist. So she was put, so she's put on like the do not fly list, basically. And they won't let her in the country. Their immigration's like, hard nope, lady. You're not getting in. But, but. It pays to be one of the biggest stars in the world Mm -hmm. because the attorney general of the time was a huge fan. Nathan, what was that attorney general's name? Um, he had the last name. It was very familiar. You've Um, heard it before? You've heard it before? Kennedy. Kennedy, you say? Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) I think it was Robert. F. Kennedy. So Robert yeah. F. Kennedy was he's, he's, the attorney general he's not at the time. Big news at all. Never heard of him before. But he, this little known man that I've never heard of before, was able to get her a visa just like based on I like her. So uh cool. Good for her. <laughs> and on on August. 28th, 1963, Josephine Baker introduced MLK Jr. with an epic speech in front of, you know, a quarter of a million people. Mm. She felt like, she felt like women in the civil rights movement had gotten looked over. And they had. She was the only woman that year, I believe, in the civil rights movement that was asked to speak. And so oh, she felt- oh, oh, I remember this. I remember this because we did an episode on Daisy Bates and 
she was mentioned in Daisy Bates was mentioned in Josephine Baker's space because they, I mean, Josephine was like, wait a second. We have all these powerful black women who've yeah. been doing things in the United States and you're recognizing me. Exactly. No, wait, there's Rosa Parks. There's Daisy Bates. Yeah. What? <laughs> like, uh, so frustrating. Her, the most famous lines of her speech went like this. Nathan, would you like to take, take these lines? Okay. Oh, okay. Powerful words. I have walked into the palaces of kings and queens, but I could not walk into a hotel in America and get a cup of coffee. And that made me mad. And when I got mad, I opened my big mouth and then look out. Cause when Josephine opens her mouth, they hear it all over the world. I love that. Uh, it's Josie, 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 Josie. <laughs> Funny side note. I, I struggled to find a solid resource for this, but I just read it from here and there. Some people say that whenever Josephine, uh, whenever MLK finished his speech, his I Had a Dream speech, Josephine leaned over to her friend and went, I could have done it better. <laughs> Oh my god. I love her! <laughs> she's, a, I love she's not her. perfect, but I love <laughs> So, five years later, um, MLK was assassinated and his a widow, Coretta Scott King, approached Josie about taking his place as the leader in the civil rights movement. And she's like, ooh, hard pass. No, thank um, you. You know what? Your husband just got killed. <laughs> um, I have a dozen of donuts. I mean, a dozen of children. <laughs> and I, I can't leave them without a pastry master. I mean, a mother. When we learn about the civil rights movement here in school in America, I under, I also realized that we probably aren't learning very in-depth. But I didn't realize Josephine Baker was such a huge part of it. Did you? No. And she continued to be a pretty yeah. huge part in all of this. Like, Yeah. It's the fact that MLK's wife was like, hey, do you want to come be, do you want to come be his replacement? And she had to say, no, thank you. Like, I didn't realize that. That's what a monumental person she was, you know? I know. In the next few years, she... Spent on the road traveling as one does as a beautiful performer. Um, he was in and debt she's trying as a beautiful yeah. per- performer who was deeply, deeply in debt. <laughs> yeah, with a dozen of donuts, babies. Um, she performed in Cuba at the invitation of Fidel Castro, okay. which <laughs> there was a love rumor there, which we're not going to get with into. her and Fidel Castro, yeah. Allegedly. I mean, (laughs) we're not going to go there. This is problematic. Uh, She also (laughs) toured in Yugoslavia, which sounds way better than touring Fidel Castro. Fun fact, she she toured Yugoslavia, and she was the first African-American woman to ever perform in Yugoslavia. She donated a bunch of money to a home for children in poverty then, which probably did not help with her debt. <laughs> okay, touche. Big heart. Big heart. Empty pockets. 
Big heart, empty pockets. Yes. <laughs> At least she didn't adopt a baby. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God, God she didn't adopt a baby. Um. Anyway, she <laughs> got to return to the U.S. just again. One more time. One, one more again time. in 1973. And she performed at Carnegie Hall. So big deal. It sold out and she got the standing ovation that she deserved. That <laughs> in must the have United been States. that must have been so gratifying to her after all these oh, years. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. She had one more love in her life, but their relationship was kind of toxic, to be honest. His name was Robert Brady, and he was also an openly gay man. I see a trend here. Um, the two of them exchanged vows in 1973, but they didn't have a marriage license and she was still legally married to Joe. So... Ooh, this sounds like a lot of queens we've covered. <laughs> <laughs> so the two of them ended up breaking up, but remained really good friends for the rest of their life. Um, he's an art collector. I mean, again, I just want to date all of the men that Josie dated. <laughs> I just want to be like, I I like you too. Um, but after his death, his home in Mexico ended up turning into a museum. And there's actually some really good yeah. paintings of Josephine in there. And some good photos, as, long, as well as lots of good photos and art of all kinds of people. I would love to go there. Sadly... All this touring took a toll on Josephine's health. And over the next couple of years, she suffered a heart attack. She maybe had like a low-grade stroke. And her doctors were like, you need to lay low. You need to lay low. And so she did until 1975. And 1975 marked her 50 years of her first performance in paris okay I, I i can't blame her because at this point i'd be like bitch let's throw a party i was in paris 50 years ago lego like let's it. where's the we champagne because we're french and where's the escargot barf i don't want any but where's the cheese it is let's go like it is time to party and it's time to party about me and she did. And she totally did. She threw this big, or she planned to throw this big show with all of her biggest hits over the last few years. Big costume changes. We're talking like reveal, 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 reveal. Not a Janet Jackson boob reveal, but we're talking like clothing reveals. And she was going to be the center of attention of it all. And guess who just so happened to fund the performance? Who? Grace Kelly. Ah! And and Jackie O. Jackie Onassis Kennedy. Hello, Kennedy from the Hail Mary. Hello back there. Hello. Um, I got friends in high, high places. places. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Y'all, speaking of friends in high places... On the oh. opening night, guess who was in the front row? We oh, got no. Liza Minnelli, Mick Jagger, Diana Ross. Oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say it. Okay. Mary Fuck Kill. Ooh, Mary <laughs> Fuck Kill. Liza Minnelli, Mick Jagger. And Di- Obviously, I'm fucking Mick Jagger. I'm sorry. That is the straightest <laughs> answer I could have given, but it's the truth. Um... 
Oh, I don't know what to do with the other two. <laughs> I don't want to kill. Can I marry both of them? Can I be in a three-way marriage with Liza Minnelli and Diana Ross? Sister wives. Okay, I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it. Okay. I'm marrying Mick Jagger because I can get regular sex from him. I'm fucking Diana Ross because I bet that bitch could fuck good. And Liz Minnelli, I'm gonna kill you. I love you. I love you, girl. Hey, hats you know, off to your mother. But I don't. You know, me I said and it. Liza I said Minnelli, it. I'm horrible. I'm going me, to hell. I'm going to gay hell. Me and Liza Minnelli <laughs> are birthday twins. And now I'm going to actual hell. Yeah. So I hate that <laughs> even more for you. So. Have fun in hell. Um. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this show was a huge fucking success. Like, Josephine's show sold out every single night. In fact, they had to pull the chairs out and put them down the aisle. Yes, they had to bring the- in like the lawn chairs for people to sit in. I love in, that so moment when I'm like, oh, I'm that famous? I'm yeah. that famous? <laughs> every newspaper, every radio show, every body was raving like Josephine is killing it 50 years in and she is still the star. She has always been and she is once again the hottest ticket in Paris just like she was when she was 20 years old I I love this because this does come full circle which we always have to have this moment because while her popularity and stardom was going great her health was not and four days after her opening night of her show after only three performances Josephine is found unconscious in her room. So she had slipped into a coma overnight and never woke up. And she was surrounded by all of these newspapers and magazines that had given her glowing reviews, which is... I would have done the same. I love (laughs) that she went out reading her glowing reviews. Reviews. The very last thing she saw in her waking life was five-star reviews about herself, saying how wonderful she was. And as a child that grew up in a home that never accepted her, that's all she ever wanted. Full circle. And I love that. I don't love that her life ended early, but I love that it ended going out reading about how much everyone loved her she finally fit in oh i love that i know so josephine's funeral was in monaco and there were twenty thousand people who mourned that's a lot of mourners yeah 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 true statement and she was buried there in monaco initially until 2021 where she was moved to the pantheon in paris and it's this Roman building yeah, in Pali that, I yeah, Pali, yeah, I'm Parisian, not really. I mean, 30% French. It's, uh, okay, okay, 23 <laughs> me over here. 23 yes. and me, please sponsor the podcast. Um, the, <laughs> I didn't know what the Pantheon was, so I kind of had to look it up. And it's, um, yeah, it's this old ass building. And, but the people that have been buried there since is it's a very, very high honor like in french society 
And out of all the people that have been buried there, only six women are in there. And Josephine was number six in 2021. Like that. Wait. And can we, can we, can I ask the question? Yeah. How many black women are buried there? Just, just Josie. Just Josie. Just Josie. Yes. 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 And so, yeah, she spent the first half of her life being unwanted because of her skin color. And now she is wanted everywhere. She's got the highest place. Like, come on, girl. What? And, oh, what a wild life. So let's raise a glass to Josephine Baker. Our last episode of 2022 and just the most iconic bitch. Cheers, bitch. Cheers.